Wow, what a morning we've had. We have had a morning. Shelby came over to my house today, and I made her brunch, and it was really good. This is only our second episode. In both episodes, it's rained while we're recording. It's God smiling on us. Is it? (laughs) Ever since you told me I laugh at my own jokes, I've been really insecure not to laugh until somebody (laughs) else laughs when I say something. (laughs) I laugh at myself all the time. I would say something. I noticed that in the podcast myself. I was like, why do I think I'm so funny? But then I was listening to it and I was like, that's a horrible joke. I am not funny at all. I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I have to admit, I have not been listening to any podcasts except for, like this week, except for Frenemies. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I know. I've been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift this week. Really? Mm -hmm. Does she have a podcast? No, she has the new Fearless remastered or oh, and Taylor's, right, right. whatever, Taylor's cut of Fearless came out this week. Yeah, so how's that going? It's Was making it- me feel like I'm 16 again, except this time I can drink <laughs> <laughs> and get drunk in the bathtub while I listen. Because <laughs> you didn't realize how depressed she was till you were too old. <laughs> I guess. I mean, maybe I was just a really angsty teen. I don't know. Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> and Panic at the Disco. <laughs> And Fallout Boy. <laughs> and mostly Simple Plan. So I Perfect. listened to Simple Plan. Yeah. They oh. are so angsty. They are so. I didn't realize how angsty they were. it all. Nothing lasts forever. <laughs> you guys didn't know you're going to get a concert out of us today. You're welcome. COVID sucks. <laughs> it does. We're aching for some entertainment. Please entertain us. But yeah, oh my god, I'm so obsessed with frenemies, and it's so dirty. They are going after people and shit, and I'm like, are they? This is amazing. Yeah, because James Charles has like oh, all these. Yes, girl, you're telling me about that. Yeah, like one of them is as young as 14. That's just terrible. He's like, and he's like weirdly obsessed with armpits. He's like, send me a picture of your armpit, and like. He pays these minors for pictures. That's creepier than Dan Schneider in the feet. (laughs) Welcome to the Bones and Brunch podcast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Carly. And today we're going to be talking about Printer's Alley. Ooh. <laughs> I'll do the sound effects this week. You got the sound bites this week. I'm just saying. I'm trying to be supportive. Why is it spooky that we haven't even said anything yet? Ooh. <laughs> Everything is spooky. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is Printer's Alley? It is a two-block street in downtown Nashville that holds some of the city's most historic bars and clubs and what once housed the majority of all the printing companies all the way up into the 70s. Wow. And it's located between 3rd and 4th Avenue, running from Union to Comrade Street. And it truly really holds the best bars in Nashville, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, after we went down there. Um, yeah. My dad was <laughs> the first. This is such a cute story, y'all listen. No, it's, it's really not that cute. <laughs> it's pretty funny. My dad um, was a passionate liquor man, okay? And he... the. When I turned 21, I had a daughter, so I didn't get that 21st birthday experience. So later on, he took me to Nashville downtown, and he made us park at the sketchiest uh, garage in Nashville. (laughs) But 
it was because it was a rooftop right over Printer's Alley in downtown Nashville. And he was telling me all the stories about the brothels and the history of it and how it's not that much different now than it was then. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> But anyways, so the first time I went to Printer's Alley was with my dad and I did not know what it was. And here I am with my dad and like, it's like all these like titty bars and stuff. <laughs> burlesque. They have a burlesque place there. Yeah. And I was like, damn, like, what is he? He's giving me the real deal experience here. Thanks, dad. <laughs> But anyway, so that was my first time going there. So we went on a pub tour in Savannah, but we loved that so much that we went on a pub tour with the same company here in Nashville. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. They showed us some really cool stuff, and that's kind of what inspired this episode because they're like, wow, the history is so rich here. There's spooky stories. So we just had to do an episode on Printer's Alley. Yeah, we we had to. There was so much they told us. Yeah, and that was actually my first time going to Printer's Alley. Was, was it? Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've been to Broadway more times than I can count, but I've never walked through Printer's Alley. Yeah. It's definitely a good walk through. And there were some really good bars down there. There were. I want to go back. Me too. Not on a Friday night when it's so crowded. Okay. So the nightclubs of Printer's Alley date back into the 1940s and were the beginning of what Nashville is known for today, the music industry. And most of the stages of Printer's Alley were a showcase for amazing artists such as Hank Williams, Elvis Presley... Dottie West, Jimi Hendrix, Waylon Jennings, and there's so many more. I'm not going to list them all. Printer's Alley wasn't always filled with fun, singing, and dancing. It holds a dark and spooky past. Cue the... Oh, sorry. (laughs) My dog was licking my face. (laughs) My bad. You know how we get with animals, right? We're just... There are babies. There are babies. Um, Here we go. Ooh. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. That was really good. So let's talk about the history of Printer's Alley. Um, It dates all the way back to 1828. In fact, in the 1800s, President Andrew Jackson's law office was once on Union Street, and him, along with other prominent men, would board their horses along the alley when they would go to the courthouse. Okay, wait, pause. Can we just talk about AJ for a sec? (laughs) (laughs) Look, that boy went around town. He was everywhere in Tennessee, I feel like. And now he's part of this story, and I'm just like, AJ, calm down. Well, that's the only he's in it, but... What? I said that's the only part that's in it, but it is really fascinating that he had a law office downtown. I mean, that is so fascinating. I forgot he was a lawyer. But you just... There's always some association with With Andrew Jackson. in Tennessee somewhere. Yeah, all the time. So, soon into the 1900s, Printer's Alley would be home of the many publishing and printing companies. There were 13 publishing companies and 10 printing businesses that were based in and around Printer's Alley. So, that's how it obviously got its name. Mm. Cool. And it was home to two of the largest printing companies, which you may have heard of. They're still around today. The Tennessean and the Nashville Banner. Really? The Tennessean was based out of there, yeah. That is really cool. And the last print shop, which was the Ambrose Printing Company, did not even leave Printer's Alley until 1977. Wow. And it said that if Nashville wasn't known for the music, it would be known for the business of printing. So it was in printing business for like 150 years. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. It was a huge thing in Nashville, printing was. My grandfather worked for Marshall Bruce Printing for like 30 years or something in Mm. Nashville. I don't know if there's still a company, but... He worked for printing in Nashville. I wonder if it was once. That's where he retired from. Wow. Yeah. Did not know that. Fun fact. Fun fact. So while during the day, Printer's Alley was hustling and bustling with business, but during the night, it was a different kind of business. 
the whole <laughs> wait I was a sound bite girl. Yeah. Sorry. Good sound bite. Yes, girl. So after. <laughs> that was my favorite part of last episode. Yes. Yes, yes. girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. So after the sun went down, you wouldn't dare find a respectable lady on the streets of Printer's Alley. And it was known as the Men's Quarter. Oh. Oh, yeah, I know. That just sounds gross. Yeah. During the mid-1800s and early 1900s, you could find saloons, bars, and brothels. And during the time of prohibition, the area was famous for its speakeasies and brothels. Wow. Of course it was. Well, yeah. Nashville's Uh, strong. mm, Nashville's strong. (laughs) (laughs) So prostitution was pretty big in Nashville, and it was actually legal from 1854 until 1917, which I didn't even know. Until I moved here that that was a thing. You would think that'd be a bigger thing. Wow. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the sex work in Nashville became a problem during the time. I can say sex. <laughs> Shelby. Shelby can't handle talking about sex, y'all. I know my dad's listening. <laughs> So the sex work in Nashville became such a problem during the time of the Civil War because so many of the soldiers were getting sick from STDs and there was like really no treatments for it. Stop. At the time, yeah. So they were running out of men to fight because they were getting STDs and STIs. Ew. Oh my God. They died of a leaky dick. That sounds (laughs) horrible. (laughs) And nasty. Nasty. So in 1863, all prostitutes were required to obtain a license and to pass a medical exam in order to continue their work. Okay, well, that's good. At least they were letting them do their thing, but making them regulate. Yeah, and without a license, they could face up to 30 days in jail if they were caught. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Um, Hundreds of women registered for this license in order to practice their profession legally. Stop. That would be me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Mom, are you listening (laughs) Let me go register like I'm going to the DMV. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta go uh, run. uh... (laughs) Run in there and I'll be back. Let me take my horse and buggy down to the courthouse (laughs) in the doctor's office. (laughs) So once the problem of prostitution was solved in Printer's Alley, Nashville faced another huge problem, which was prohibition. Oh, yeah. In 1909, liquor was outlawed, but almost every establishment in the alley still served alcohol. And bars didn't just serve it. They served it under official protection of the city's politicians and police. Yeah, so they, everybody knew it was against the law, but they were okay with... Yeah, they didn't give a care in the world. Just like the masks all over again. Mm -hmm. I know y'all saw those pictures. (laughs) That shit is embarrassing. Yes. One source said that a reporter asked the mayor of Nashville, who at the time was Hillary House... If he protected Printer's Alley's establishments and his response was, protect them, I'd do better than that. I patronize them. <laughs> I could Ooh. just see some big fat man in an interview. With a really tall hat. <laughs> and some coattails. There you go. <laughs> and finally, in 1939, prohibition was officially over and everyone Woo-hoo! celebrated. So let's talk about some of the haunted buildings of Printer's Alley. First, we're going to talk about the Southern Turf Building. And that's located on 222 North Cherry Street. The back of this building is actually what faces the alley. The establishment was built by Marcus Cartwright and opened in 1895. 
It was a hotel, saloon, and was really known for its gambling. Oh, okay. And this place was extremely nice and upscale compared to the other bars and saloons in Printer's Alley. It was reported that the place was so beautiful and elegant with mahogany furnishings, marble halls, and bronze statues. I cannot picture that in Printer's Alley. I can't either. Not even today. Mm-mm. Something that elegant. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it belongs. Maybe that's why its business was so great. Probably. Because it was one of the nicer places in Printer's Alley. Absolutely. Um, but the building was managed by name by a man named Ike Johnson. And in the haunted tour we did, they actually got his name wrong. In the tour, they said his name was Ice Johnson. I don't know if you remember that part. No, I do. Because I was like, who the fuck has a name named Ice? Yeah. Who names their kid Ice? <laughs> oh, no, the guy in, uh, what's his name? Um, the name's Ice. Ice. <laughs> he has on the back of his hair. <laughs> My cat's named after the movie. <laughs> And, um, Hocus Pocus. Hang on. The name's Ice. (laughs) Oh, his name was Ernie. Ernie. I would change my name to Ice, too, if it was named Ernie. Remember? Because the guy was like, remember? It ain't Ernie anymore. It's It's Ice. Ice. (laughs) I remember. Sorry if your name is Ernie. No. (laughs) I'm not sorry. Just kidding. We're not sorry. Be mad at your mom. Have a talk with your mom. Don't pass on the name to your child. (laughs) So also, they said that he was on, he lived on the third floor of the building, but he didn't. He lived on the second floor of the building. Mm, Okay. And I found that out by newspaper clippings from the Tennessean. I was able to find archives from it, which I thought was really cool. That is so cool. Yep. Um, Sadly, the establishment was financially suffering due to prohibition and closed in 1914. And in February of 1916, John... Johnson committed suicide in the building by shooting himself in the head with a pistol, which is really sad. He was so sad that his beloved building closed. He killed himself. You know, that's, they say that's a huge, um, trigger Mm -hmm. for suicidal tendon. It's like a, to have a the tendency to commit suicide if you're having financial issues. Yes. Or a huge change. I mean, yeah, his life changed so much Mm -hmm. because they were going to kick him out of the building. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Yep. And reported by the Tennessean, which ironically was located in the same building, um, the headlines read of the article that I found, they really phrased things. Interesting. Back then, Ike Johnson fires bullet into brain at Southern Turf, ends life in building, which he had managed for a number of years. Bullet into brain. Fires bullet into brain. Wow, that's so descriptive. Yeah. You can't just say he passed away. I know. I guess maybe that's a, di- it's a different time. He passed he... away at home surrounded by his loved ones. Nope, he just fired a bullet into his brain. So it's no surprise at all that soon after his death, people began seeing his apparition through the upper levels of the building. Mm. And the new tenants of the establishment, those who worked for the publishing company, have confirmed that Ike's spirit never left. And he terrified the employees there soon after his death. He would move things off of desks, and um, it was reported that people would see him, and he'd, like, rush at them and just, like, disappear. No. Right in front of them. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. I would be sitting there all the time with a camera. I would try. I would pee my pants. <laughs> <laughs> 
So also, while people are walking the streets, they have reported seeing a shadowy figure darting from one window to the other that moves at an unhuman-like speed. So it's just like a ghost-like figure, like, back and forth. You know, because then there's, like, I hate to talk about him again, but, you know, Zach Bagans, um, <laughs> he's the expert. Anyways, no, I'm just kidding. They, they say, like, you can literally physically feel ghosts, like, when they go through you mm-hmm. or in, in an area near you. And they say you can feel it, and I'm like... Do I want to experience that? I have never in my life experienced that. Never. I don't know if I'd want to. I feel like I would just to be able to just, say I yeah, did. Yeah, just to say you did. Yeah, but like I'm not like chasing ghosts like some people do. Yeah. No. I'm respectful of spirits, or I try to be. Mm-hmm. I do think they are a thing. That's crazy, though. Well, whether or not his... Appearances are as vivid as they are reported. I do believe that a part of him is still there due to his attachment to the building. And he did promise to take care of it till the day he died to the original to the original builder, Marcus Cartwright. Mm. So maybe even he does take care of it in death. Maybe. I mean, he probably felt like he had unfinished business, mm-hmm. as I say. Yep. But the death of Ike Johnson wasn't the only tragedy that happened in this building. In 1998, the owner of a bar that was located on the back of Southern Turth was brutally murdered. Really? Yes. Like, brutally like how? Um, we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm ready. You're ready. I'm ready. <laughs> so, his name was David Skull Skullman, and he was the owner of Skull's Rainbow Room. Oh. And the Rainbow Room truly was an amazing bar and club. I wish I could have gone there in its prime. Well, I want to hear more. It opened up. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Why am I singing Grease so much this week? That's the second time. I was about to say, (laughs) calm down, Rizzo. (laughs) Thanks. You guys are really getting some special treats today. You have no idea. We've had champagne. We made um, Moscow. Moscow. Uh, or wait, wait. Moscow mules. They're Moscow mimosa mules. They are delicious. And they are so good. And so, yeah, Carly cooked breakfast for me this morning and it was really delicious. It was. We, made, we had French toast. We did have French toast and I don't get to have French toast very often because my husband hates cinnamon. So it was a treat for me. He's different, but we love him. So the Rainbow Room opened up in 1948, and it's located directly behind the Southern Turf. It's actually kind of in the basement of Southern Turf. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's located at 222 Printers Alley in Nashville. It was known for its checkered print stage and the performers that played there. The stage of the Rainbow Room was known for singers and songwriters such as Johnny Cash, Paul McCartney, Elvis Presley, Etta James, Bob Dylan, and even Andy Griffith did stand-up comedy there. You are kidding. I never knew that Andy was a stand-up comic. Neither did I. He is so precious. He is. I love Andy Griffith. That's so so nostalgic for me. Mm -hmm. The establishment also had exotic dancers and burlesque shows. In fact, the burlesque shows continued up until last year when COVID regulations forced them to pause. Really? Yep. And I looked up videos of it on YouTube, and it looks like a great time. Does it really? It does. It looks like a lot of fun. 
one of the videos that I watched, it was of like a belly dancer burlesque show. And it just looks so much fun. And it was in the rainbow room and everyone was having a good time. Pre-COVID, man. <laughs> Dang. Those were the days. Yes. Skull really prided himself in the success of his bar. And it was extremely successful until his murder in 1998. Um, but before we talk about his death, let's talk about Skull's life and who he was. His birth name was David Skullman. And he was born in North Nashville, Tennessee on August 1st, 1917. So kind of close to where we worked, probably. Wow. Yep. That's cool. In his youth, he worked as a bat boy for the Nashville Vols, which was a minor league baseball team that was like dissolved in 1963. Yeah. Which I think the sounds is who like took over, like where their stage is at or their stage, their ballpark. Yeah. The sound, the sound stadium. I'm not totally sure on the exact history but yeah that's what we have now yeah i looked into a a little bit and the sounds is what took over you go you go to a sounds game not for the baseball because the players are not very good it's just like they're they're just doing it for fun yeah it's not major league baseball but it's a good time yeah and the sounds stadium is so much fun like i've never been they the bars are great and they have like areas with cornhole and all kinds of adult games. It's a lot of fun. That sounds like fun. The beer's good. We'll have to put that on our list. Yeah, we have this ongoing, <laughs> endless Never list. ending list of things to do. <laughs> yeah, but we get them done, so. Yeah. Kudos to us. <laughs> so he was actually nicknamed Skull by one of the players of the Vols because he had gotten in a car accident that fractured his skull and left him with a serious scar on, like, his head. Oh, okay. So that's okay. how he got the nickname Skull, not by his last name Skullman, which you would think is where he got the nickname, but it's not. Skull is so much better than Ice. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would be like, my name is Skull. <laughs> like, no, my name is Ice. My name is Ice. So when Skull opened the Rainbow Room in 1948, he soon became extremely well-known in Printer's Alley and even gained the title of the unofficial mayor of Printer's Alley. And soon everyone referred to him as the mayor. So if you're just like walking up and down Printer's Alley and you worked in one of the bars there or one of the bartenders and you saw Skull, you'd be like, what's up, mayor? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody referred to him as the mayor. That's cool. That's cool. They, that was That's respect. Yes. Yeah, he was very respected. And, yeah, everyone who worked or hung out around the alley just loved him. He truly was a great person. He was known for being kind and helpful to the homeless around the area of downtown Nashville. He would even offer out odd jobs to help them earn a little extra cash. He really was just a good person. And there are so many things about this man that are just so unique and cool. He was unapologetically himself, and everyone just loved him. He was known for wearing flashy and flamboyant clothes and suits, kind of like the ones Elvis would wear. Stop. He would always wear stuff like that. And he always had poodles. Like, he loved his poodles. And he would name them things like Sweetie and Sugar. That's precious. It is precious. He (laughs) should have, like, why did you have to take him out of this world? (laughs) Shelby? I feel like I know this guy after doing so much research about him. And, like, if you look up pictures of him, like, if you just Google, like, David Skullman... Like, the first five pictures that pop up are him and his freaking poodles. <laughs> okay, I have to look this up. I'm sure she's already picked out pictures to show you guys on Instagram. I have. <laughs> and he would walk them up and down Printer's Alley on rhinestone leashes. Stop. <laughs> this is like, this guy reminds me of Joe Exotic. <laughs> 
It's with their boodles instead of tigers. <laughs> they were so cute. <laughs> oh my god. What was his name? David Skull. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see him? Oh my god, you're right. I told you. It's him and his boodles. They're so cute. They are so cute. Yes, like the very first picture is a black and white picture of him wearing a really flamboyant shirt and like white boots with three poodles right in front of his bar. That is amazing. Do you see that picture? Yes, that's amazing. And then like the second picture, it must be a Christmas picture because he's wearing a hat that says Merry Christmas and he's holding his dog and his dog's wearing a Santa hat. So it's even reported that once Elvis Presley gifted him a poodle. Really? Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, that's just one of the articles that I was skimming through and I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's a fun fact. That is fun, Elvis. He always appears too. Yes. And around Christmas time, he would color their fur red and green. Oh, he's so festive. He was was so so extra. Oh, he was very extra. I'll post some pictures. I'll post a lot of pictures of him. I can't wait. So, Skull was also a semi-regular cast member on the Hee Haw TV show that was filmed in Nashville. Okay. Have you ever seen that show? Yes. It is hilarious. Like, I looked it up just to see what it was all about, and I think I watched a whole, like, 45-minute episode of it, I was like, okay, I need to get back to research, but it was hilarious. Yeah, that's something that my grandparents would watch. Oh, Yeah. I bet. If you've ever seen the show, you'll know that most of the men wear these silly blue faded overalls. And Skull would just wear them all the time. Even when he was working behind the bar at the Rainbow Room bartending or doing whatever it was that he did there, Uh he would wear his hee-haw overalls. All the time. Yep. That was what he wanted to wear. Who cared? Yep. And Skull would always sit in the last bar stool around his bar and read the newspaper before the bar opened for the night. And on January 21st, 1998, around the hour of 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Skull was sitting in his usual spot at the end of the bar reading... The newspaper before opening time when someone ran in to rob him. <gasps> Six o'clock that evening, a cigarette vendor by the name of William Jones found David Skullman lying on the floor of his beloved bar. No. Yeah. He had been found beat and his throat had been slit several times. And he was also hit over the head with a liquor bottle. Oh my God. What a terrible way to go out like that. Yes. And he was 80 years old at the time that this happened. So, like, obviously frail. Yeah, obviously frail. And he had a head injury already. Right. From his car accident. And he only survived till the next day. And per Dr. John Gerber, who was the assistant medical examiner who performed Skull's autopsy, reported the cause of death was multiple incised wounds to the neck and a blunt force injury to the head. The victim was cut three times on the neck. That is really vicious. I wonder if he knew the person. He did. And he was obviously 80 years old when he passed, and his murder devastated the music and entertainment industry in Nashville. Oh my god, what a, yeah, because what a huge community that is. Yes, especially in Printer's Alley, because Printer's Alley, even though it's a long stretch, it it is pretty small. Yes. And everybody there, especially at that time, it was a community. This was like the up-and-coming country music era of Nashville. Yeah, Printer's Alley's where it all started. Yes, this was even before Broadway was a thing. Like, Printer's Alley were where all of the bars were held at Yeah, in Nashville. So it was huge mm-hmm. until Nashville outgrew it. Yep. Yep, and then up and came Broadway, which is where all the bachelorette parties are and <laughs> all the crazy people. 
Yeah, and if you ever come to Nashville and you see people downtown with cowboy boots and cowboy hats, they're not locals. They're not locals. Okay. We don't fucking look like that. No. I mean, there are some country bumpkins, but they don't look like that. No. <laughs> we know you when we see you. We know you're a tourist when. That's what the farmers wear when they're out in the field, not when they go downtown. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> okay, but anyway. Sorry if you want to come here for your bachelorette party and you wear boots. <laughs> Just know we're going to know you're a tourist. Yes, we are. No hate, though. No. And Willie Nelson appeared on the America's Most Wanted in an effort to try and locate and catch the monsters that killed him. Oh my gosh. And before we, like, get into the murder, I just wanted to read what one of his friends spoke at after his funeral. Uh Uh-huh. And his name was Michael McCall. I think that's how you pronounce his name. But anyways, this is what he said. At his graveside funeral, they all came. The celebrities, the politicians, the drinkers, and the bartenders and servers who kept Printer's Alley open. One last time, the rich and famous stood shoulder to shoulder with the broken, the forgotten, brought together by a man who welcomed them all. That night, the rainbow room remained locked, its lights out, the alley man always be there, but it will never be the same. And that's That's sad. That's so sad. That just goes to show you what a huge loss it was for the community. Because the thing is, death is inevitable. And with him being so old, I'm sure they were waiting. But it's the way he was taken out. Yes. Like, it was a shocking death and undeserved. Yes. And people can prepare themselves if someone, you know, is ill. Yeah, absolutely. But he was still working at this time. Right. Like, he could have had 10 more years. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's just sad. But finally, in 2000, two men by the name of James Cavier, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, I don't care because he's a monster, and Jason Pence were charged with his murder. Both of these men were homeless drifters, and Jason Pence even admitted that he worked for Skull cleaning the Rainbow Room's restrooms in 1996. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so Skull employed this man, like helped him out, because he was known for helping the homeless. Sure. Jason testified that about five days before the murder took place, him and James created a plan to rob someone because they were tired of being homeless. And Jason suggested Skull because he was known to carry like large amounts of cash in his pockets and his overall pockets from Hee Haw. Okay. And so on the day of the murder, the plan was that Jason would be the lookout while James robbed Skull. And Skull tried to put up a fight, but I mean, obviously he was older and was ultimately murdered by James. And the shitty thing is they only ended up getting $45 from his pockets on the cash register in the bar. $45. And Jason Pence testified that he was only given $5 from James because he said he wasn't a good enough lookout because he had to kill Skull. Because he had to kill him. Oh my god, these guys are fucking idiots. Yes. I mean, good thing they're off the street, right? I hope so, maybe. Eh, I don't know. I didn't look that far into it, but... I did find court records of what they were sentenced to, and I didn't look further. I didn't really want to look and see if they were on the streets, because this would be now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is the time that we're going downtown. (laughs) That sucks. But James was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole, and Jason Pence pled guilty to facilitating a murder and was sentenced to 15 to 20 years. So he would be out by now. Okay. I don't know how old he was when this happened. So I don't know if he's still alive. Gotcha. I didn't care enough to research it because he was a piece of shit anyways. Yeah, he was a piece of shit. <laughs> it just made me so mad researching this. I mean, did y'all think of the poodles? No, I'm just kidding. No, oh, that's awful. Oh, you want to hear the worst part? 
A no. couple was in the bar when it happened. No. One of them was. Yeah. And I didn't put this in there, but since you said that, the cigarette vendor found the poodle, like, just wandering around while Skull was suffering on the floor. And probably traumatized. Yeah. Because animals know, man. Yes, they do. Poor babies. But shortly after his death, the Rainbow Room did close its doors until 2016 when it was renovated and reopened. And we haven't been inside the Rainbow Room yet. It's said that some of Skull's flashy suits hang framed on the walls in the bar in his memory. Oh, that's sweet. Yep. And the new owners also kept the same concept for the checkered stage and Skull style and did the regular burlesque shows, which I think is cool. That is cool. They carried on the tradition. Mm Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find out the person's name who owns it. Maybe I just didn't dig deep enough, but it said it's the same owners of Boogie and Blues or what's that bar called? It's right next door. Um, Boogie and something. I'm not sure. I don't know. If you go to Perner's Alley, you'll see it. Yeah, I can't keep up. <laughs> I can't. With Nashville bars, people are like, you know that bar? I'm like, there are thousands. I have no idea. Yeah. And although the ones on Perner's Alley are particular, I still have no idea. <laughs> Well, maybe it was because he was missed so much, but people would report seeing a man walking a poodle up and down Printer's Alley after his death, and they would, like, do a double take, and he would just be gone in the blink of an eye. Stop. So people say they don't know if they physically saw, like, his spirit, or if they just missed him and thought that they were seeing him out of habit. I've always seen him walking down, walk up and down. During the renovations of the bar, it is said that they had to redo the whole bar because of the flood damages that happened. Oh. Back, I don't know, that was before I lived in Nashville. Yeah. But. It was probably 2010. Yes. If that was the most recent one. Yes. Yeah. And it was reported that the renovations were being done in the summer heat before the building had the AC fixed, and the temperatures outside were well into the 90s, but the bar always stayed nice and cool while people were working hard to, like, restore it. And they think it's Skull who kept, like, the bar nice because they said that he knew that he was, like, renovating it. That's and really... bringing it back to life. So they wanted he wanted to keep them comfortable. That's really interesting. While they were working. That's mm-hmm. an interesting. And also, once the bar was opened back up, people there would report that out of nowhere, they would just feel a warm sensation that would bring them a sense of calm. I just think the alcohol's talking. They say it's not. <laughs> they say it's skull they talking. They say it's skull Wow. But if you choose to go visit the Rainbow Room, make sure you make a reservation online or call ahead of time because there are regulations with COVID right now, but it is worth it and we are going to go there. Yeah, it's on our list. (laughs) But our husbands really want to go, so. Yes, we definitely need to make it a point. That is so sad. I'm glad they caught the people who killed him, though. Yeah, they got really lucky with that. But mm-hmm. these guys were such fucking idiots from the get-go. Yeah. It's not like it was really... I'm sure it wasn't that difficult to find them. Papa Skull. <laughs> <laughs> Shelby's so upset. I am upset. <laughs> this is why I can't do the true crime cases. I get too invested like invested in it. Yeah. You do. You let your emotions get the best of you. I think it's because he had cute dogs. <laughs> I'm an animal lover. It was the poodles. It was the poodles. <laughs> Those baby poodles. Don't try to kid- kidnap me in a white van. I'll only get in if you have poodles. <laughs> <laughs> or do do it in a white van. Just have the poodles with you. <laughs> you know, when my dad told me a little bit about the history, I didn't know how much history. And that is such a traumatizing event mm-hmm. for such a small area. And for these people to have known him, for him to have done so much community outreach. Yes. Yeah, he was 
definitely a celebrity Mm -hmm. in Nashville. Okay, guys. Well, that is our true crime story of the day. Episode two is done. We're excited. Also, go check out our YouTube channel, Bones and Brunch Podcast. We're going to start doing vlogs with every podcast episode that we have. Vlogs in between episodes when we're out doing things. We're about to go on a trip to Florida. Woohoo. So we're excited. That's going to be a lot of fun. See you soon, Mom and Dad. Woohoo. And Billy and Nicole. <laughs> hey, sh- uh, yeah, shout out. <laughs> and Jackie. <laughs> Jackie. Oh, yeah. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Bones and Brunch, the podcast. And listen to us on Spotify. Yes, Spotify, 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 and YouTube. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably listening to us on Spotify, but we're going to put all of our episodes on YouTube as well. Yes. So if you choose to listen to us on YouTube, which I think is definitely worth the wait to get Mm -hmm. the video up because we're going to go downtown to Printer's Alley and get some good stuff. That'll be out probably next Sunday if I can. Check out our YouTube channel. Yep. Carly's very talented. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, I'm Carly. I'm Shelby. And this is the Bones and Brunch Podcast. See you later. Bye.